Would you guys give it up for Chaplain James DeMood? My name is James DeMute. I, I am excited to be here. I'm a United States Army chaplain. I've been serving for seven years. What a great honor. Uh, if you have the photo of my family, you can throw it up there. This is the day, oh man, I can get emotional. I miss them. Uh, this is the day I got back from Afghanistan and uh, they, they met me at the airport. Um, man, they are good looking. <laughs> I don't know what I deserve to get such a wonderful family, but praise the Lord that um, they're alive, they're healthy, they're all doing well. I've got my two youngest ones with me. My wife is at home with the two older teenage ones. Uh, they didn't want a road trip. They all have part-time jobs at ice cream shops and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but when I, I heard that there was an opportunity to come and to speak with you all today, uh, I just couldn't say no. Uh, so my wife and I, we do this often. You have to in the military. We run split operations or split ops. And um, so I'm here with you all. She's down in North Carolina, Fort Bragg, which has now been called, uh, renamed to Fort Liberty. And um, it is an honor to speak with you all today. Um, and to celebrate Independence Day. Amen? Amen. Amen. So interesting fact is I was, I was thinking and I was preparing for this message. We celebrate on July 4th, but it was actually July 2nd today that they agreed, they voted on declaring themselves independent from the rule of, of Great Britain. So yes, we celebrate on the 4th, but today is the actual day that the 12 colonies voted and it was a 12 to 13, or it was, it was 12, 12 votes, 12 of the 13 colonies voted to declare independence. And um, man, thank God for the freedom that we now enjoy. So some of y'all might be wondering, hey, what is an army chaplain? And uh, I, I wanna just take a few moments and uh, 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 share a story with you. Um, you can put up the next photo. Should be the one of the baptism. Uh, this is me and uh, Chief uh, Warrant Officer Joshua Fisherback, who gave his life in Afghanistan. He was the last American soldier to be baptized in the country before the withdrawal. And uh, as you notice, my baptismal tank is leaking. Uh, it is not as waterproof as we thought. And um, so we had to conduct this, this baptism on a, on a hasty mission. Uh, this is right after chapel service. This would be known as the last chapel service um, at Bagram Airfield before we close that down. What is an army chaplain? Well, in 1775, the year before we declared independence, George Washington, who would later become president, saw the absolute need to raise up an army because he knew what was about to happen. And as he began to build that army, he looked around at his troops and probably saw all the dumb things that they were doing, just like today. And he said, you know what? We need some pastors to go with us to keep these guys in check. And we need pastors to preach, to, to keep them uh, in, in line with, with what we're trying to do and, and the, the, the morals and the, and the values and the ethics of the United States that they wanted to create. So George Washington created the chaplain corps and it was a bunch of ragtag pastors that jumped in to service. They donned a uniform and they started traveling with the different militias. 
And that developed into what you have now, which is the United States Army Chaplain Corps. There's about 1,800 chaplains currently serving. At the height of World War II, there was over 5,000 chaplains, most of them deployed across the Eastern Front. Um, a, power, a chaplain is the combination of a pastor and an officer. Uh, so I did Chi Alpha for a number of years. I was on, on pastoral staff. And that is what makes the, the most ideal chaplain is somebody that has experience pastoring people because that's what you end up doing is pastoring soldiers. But on the same side too, you also have to be an officer. So you have to do officer type stuff like reports and, and, and all the, the office work that goes into it. Much like you do today, I'm sure you have administrative responsibilities. So in that sense, it's not much different. We, we are funded by the United States Army. So thank you for paying your taxes. Uh, that's a blessing to me. Uh, but we don't raise support like traditional missionaries would. But in a very real sense, I feel like a missionary in the United States Army. We operate in a pluralistic environment, which means we have to respect all the different religions that are represented throughout the ranks. And I do two things. One, I perform my, my Christian duties as a Christian chaplain. So I pray for people, I lead invocations, I do pastoral counseling. I do that all out of my faith tradition, which is Christian and I'm an Assemblies of God ordained minister as well. If I can't do that, say I have a Muslim soldier, or a Jewish soldier, or a soldier that has no faith at all. It is upon me to find somebody to help them. That's what it means to operate in a pluralistic environment. So some days it can be difficult. Some days I wanna pick up God's word and I wanna share it with people so desperately. But sometimes I have to realize that it's also the way I love people is to provide for them, even if it's not exactly what I'd like to preach. That is difficult. Pray for me. I have to be wise to know when is the right approach? When is the, the right way of doing things to minister to people most effectively? But I tell you what, I wanna clear up a rumor. Uh, years ago, there was an article that came out that said chaplains can no longer pray in Jesus' name. And I wanna tell you that is the furthest thing from the truth. Every invocation that I give, every prayer that I pray, I pray it in Jesus' name because there's only one name. You cannot get to the Father except through Christ. It is only one name and we pray in Christ's name. So it's my honor to be United States Army Chaplain. It's my honor to represent the Army, but also the Assemblies of God in this opportunity. Now, why are chaplains needed? I wanna tell you a story about a friend of mine. His name's Nick. He's an army ranger. He did that for about 10 years. And he went all throughout Iraq and Afghanistan and Nick saw everything. He was on the front lines. He had a backpack that almost weighed as much as he did. He traversed rocky, arid desert. He was in the, the wooded area. You've probably seen some of the movies that, 
that showcase some of the, the different terrains. He experienced everything and not just the different types of geography, but also the different types of combat situation. He went out on patrols where nothing happened. And then he went out on patrols where he lost his dear friends. He was on firefights when he was shooting at the enemy, not knowing who they really were, if it was the Taliban or if it was ISIS or whatever. And after 10 years, most of those years deployed, Nick was like, I can't do it anymore. Nick came over to my, my battalion. I'm in a psychological operations unit under the first special forces command. And he came over there to breathe for the first time in 10 years of deployed combat missions. When he got to our unit, we're an airborne unit. That means we, we jump out of airplanes. And on his first jump, Nick came out, it's a static line. So you don't have to throw your parachute. It just opens automatically, but there was complications with the chute. Nick fell to the ground and he busted up his legs so severe that, that people were, were calling for the medic even before he hit the ground. They knew it was gonna be bad. Nick laid in the field crying out for somebody to help him. The first medic that showed up gave him an injection of something. Then they put him on a stretcher. They stuck him in an ambulance and then they gave him an injection of something else. He doesn't remember what it was, but he, what he does remember is that when he looked up expecting to see the ceiling of the ambulance, he was given an opportunity to look into heaven. And as he looked there, he knew that today might be the day that he dies. And he had this, this eerie sense that things were not right. And as he looked up there, he realized that he was gonna stand before God and he knew he would never get into heaven because of what he had done over the last 10 years. He went through this, this almost this out of body experience, got to the hospital, went through the surgery and then his wife called me up, I'm his chaplain. His wife called me up and said, can you please come? My husband is, is requesting that somebody tells him how to receive forgiveness. I showed up to his house the day after the surgery when he was released. I got there not knowing what to expect. I didn't know, you know, come into a situation, is he still gonna be on medication? Is he still gonna be in pain? What was going on? I sit down, I, I thought, okay, you know, you take some time to do some informal greeting. He looks at me, he goes, chaplain, how do I receive God's forgiveness? That started a four hour conversation that we had walking through the gospel. And at the end of it, I, I thought for sure, you know, if I gave an altar call, how, you know, that he would raise his hand. And I said, Nick, what do you think about this? Do you wanna give your life to Jesus Christ? He said, I really need to think about this. I said, okay, we prayed, I left. I was in Europe, I was on a mission over there. And on Easter, well, it was Easter night there. I get a text message from Nick, chaplain. I want to let you know that I went to church today. I wanna let you know that I've given my life to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that for the first time in my life, I feel God's forgiveness in my life. I praise God for that. 
not because of me, not because of this, but that there was a chaplain that showed up in his life. That's what U.S. Army chaplains do. We go, we hang out with soldiers. When we go to the field for training, we go there. When we go on missions, my unit's all over Europe. When we go there, I go out to Europe. I'm embedded with the soldiers. I live, I breathe, I go to the bathroom, eat at the chow hall. I do all of that with them. And the reason why I love the ministry, because I feel like it's exactly what Christ was doing when he showed up on this earth 2000 years ago and lived with us. He came and walks amongst us. So why are we needed? One, the window is currently open. Uh, six or seven universities now in the United States have humanist chaplains serving on the college campus. Harvard University hired a humanist chaplain two years ago a humanist chaplain is somebody that doesn't believe in God, but is in charge of the spiritual care of, its, of, of their people. And I thought to myself, uh, that doesn't add up. The future of the chaplaincy, who knows? But what I do know in the, in the culture and the society that we live in, we will see more humanist chaplains come through our ranks. We will see more pagan chaplains come into the United States Army Corps. And although I'll work with them, I gotta believe that now is the opportunity, now is the time to make the impact amongst our armed forces. So pray with me. Um, if anybody is out there interested in becoming a U.S. Army chaplain, come talk to me. I'm not a recruiter, but I want God-fearing, spirit-filled believers. I never knew that chaplaincy was a part of what God had for it. We were missionaries for a while. I did Chi Alpha for a while. I was a pastor for a while, but because I was in Michigan, all right, don't shoot me. Uh, because I was in Michigan, there wasn't any army facilities there. I never really knew what a chaplain was. And so I guess I'm here today to kind of pitch it out there. Maybe if, if you, if not you, maybe somebody you know might look at chaplaincy as another type of missions field that they could join and be a part of. Let me just pray that right now that seed, that need that God would do something and raise up more assemblies of God chaplains to be in our armed forces. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak here today. I thank you for people like Nick and like Josh who have given their life to you while being in the armed service. I thank you, God, that there was a chaplain that showed up in their life that could preach the truth and the reality of the gospel and offer them forgiveness through what Christ has done on the cross. And I thank you, God, that maybe even today, the sound of my voice, somebody online somewhere might sense the need and the calling to be a part of the chaplain corps, that God, you would raise them up and have them go through all of the steps to get there, that your gospel might be preached to the ends of the earth. I pray in Christ's name, amen, amen.
God bless you all for that. Um, I do want to get into God's word. And I was, I was thinking about all the things that are required to be a, a chaplain. You need proper education. Uh, you need experience in, in pastoring. And you need endorsement from, from whatever denomination you're a part of. Uh, I've received all of those things. I thought to myself, you know what the most important thing is? That people love God. And that people love people. That is the most important element that a chaplain brings to the table. And as I was looking through the scriptures, I wanted to find something that kind of tied those two things together. And I came across the passage of scripture of Jesus and the centurion. And today, as we look at this military man who went to Christ on behalf of his soldiers, I want us to see the spirit of the chaplain has been around for thousands of years. If you have your Bible, would you open up to Matthew chapter eight? Matthew chapter eight. And we'll start reading at verse five. It says this, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. He said, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but say the word and my servant will be healed for I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And I tell this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does that. And when Jesus heard all of this, he was amazed. And he said, to, he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in all of Israel with such great faith. Drop down to verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. Let me give you some context, some background to what's going on in this, pit, this passage of scripture because it is absolutely necessary to understand the weight of what has taken place here. So we find this passage of scripture shortly after the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is kind of brand new in his ministry, his public ministry, and he is sharing literally how the way the world is supposed to go and how we as believers, followers of Christ, we should live. Jesus was very uh, uh, familiar with this. This became the bedrock of his public ministry near Capernaum. But for the centurion to show up to Jesus' ministry, especially when he was teaching, was the oddest thing in the world. And I think one of the reasons why this passage of scripture is recorded is to show the, the, the difference, the impact that Jesus can have across any culture, across any area of the world. He is not limited to the United States. He's not limited to the underground church in China. He's not limited to just pockets where Christianity seems to flourish. Jesus, the power of God transcends every culture and custom and penetrates the hearts of all. The centurion came to Christ. And you have to put this in the context. Rome had conquered the people of Israel. Rome had conquered them. 
Israel was now subject to a foreign invader. And the Jews at that time, just like we would be at that time if, I don't know, say Canada came down (laughs) and took us over, we would be upset, right? The Jews weren't just upset. They felt like Rome was stealing their destiny to be God's people. If I could say this, the Jews hated to be under their rule because they believed to be God's people subject to him alone. And the Romans, the Romans didn't wanna be there anyways. The Romans thought the Jews were filthy, disgusting people. This Roman army that was there, they were deployed from their homeland. They didn't wanna be gone from their families. They didn't wanna be a part of this. Uh, I've been on uh, numerous deployments and I tell you what, although there was some action in Afghanistan, yes, the last few weeks got really crazy. The seven months that I was there, most of it was boring. We were just sitting around waiting for things to happen. This is what's going on here. This Roman army, they're there but they didn't really have a huge mission. They weren't fighting a war. They were there a part of uh, uh, collecting taxes for Caesar. And they didn't wanna be there. They weren't fighting any wars. They didn't have a real purpose. They were going on uh, uh, patrols and and keeping order in the area that they didn't even wanna uh, be in. And this centurion, the centurion, we don't know much about him. In fact, we never hear his name mentioned although he's mentioned five times throughout the the New Testament, but he was a captain, a centurion is somebody, uh, an officer that's in charge of other people, a minimum of hundred people. That's what the commentators say. He was a battle tested warrior and he was there in this land, probably with a family back home. And I kind of know what that feels like. Uh, I've been deployed um, to two combat missions, but three deployments all together. And I tell you what, it's exciting for the first couple of weeks when you're gone, because everything's new and, and you're with people and, and you're doing all these kind of cool things, setting everything up. And then after that, it just gets old and you miss your family. You wanna go home. You wanna get the mission done and, and get back to it. But there was something different about this centurion. Luke's account says that he got involved in the community. In fact, he helped build a synagogue for these Jewish people. It said that the religious leaders of the synagogue in, in another uh, uh, version of the story in, in the gospel of Luke says that they went to Jesus and they tried to compel Jesus to do this miracle for the centurion servant because he was worthy of it because of how much he invested into the community. Mind you again, Rome, the Romans, the Roman centurion is not at home and they didn't wanna be there. He didn't have to care about the people in this area. And he surely did not have to care about the servant who was sick. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the army. And this kind of transcends all of history. There are enlisted and then there are officers, okay? The enlisted probably make 80 to 85% of the military. They are the backbone of the military. They do the heavy lifting. Anytime you see a a movie and and there's stars in the movie, those are the enlisted soldiers. They're the ones slinging mud and, and carrying the weapons and doing all that kind of stuff. The officers, they're the management, right? They're the ones back in the offices with the air conditioning, all right? They're checking emails, 
They're the ones sending out orders saying, hey, go here, go do this, go on patrol. The enlisted are the ones that are actually doing the work. And unfortunately, there are times when the enlisted get the raw deal, when they have to do all of the blood, sweat, and tears of making the huge organization of the military happen. And so there's this indifference sometimes that takes place between officers enlisted, not all the time, but sometimes. Sometimes officers look at them like a number. 2000 years ago, they were looked at as slaves, as servants. And there was no officer that had to care for his soldiers, but this one did. This one cared to go to Christ on behalf of his soldier. This soldier could be easily replaced, yet this centurion went to the feet of Christ on behalf of his soldier. I operate, uh, uh, my assignment is currently in the, the special operations world. Uh, and we, we have these truths that we live by there. And one of those truths is that humans are more important than hardware. Hardware. Humans are more important than hardware. The idea is that humans cannot easily be replaced. We can replace this computer. We cannot replace this person. It's an incredible organization to work for. And I feel like this centurion was a part of the special operations community because he had that mindset that this human was more important than any mission or any hardware that he was given to oversee. And so we asked for a miracle. Like I said before, his name is never recorded, but he's mentioned five times throughout the New Testament. This leads me to believe that there was something special about this centurion, something that maybe we should pay attention to. Now, I'm preaching to myself this morning because I kind of feel some of these, these roles and responsibilities of the centurion. I'm in the military. I oversee people. So this is very much a sermon to how I should live, but there are elements of it here that I want you to get because you are in positions of leadership and you, although you have people above you, you probably have people below you, whether you're volunteering here at the church or in the community or at your workplace. There are some leadership truths that we can glean to. The first was that he was a man of humility. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. He was a man of humility. Verse seven and verse eight, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come underneath my roof. I do not deserve for you even to show up at my house. Jesus says, hey, can I come to your place and, 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 and we'll do ministry? Jesus, no. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I felt like this centurion. On August 15th, 2021, the airport in Hkai was overrun and things were getting really, really crazy. I remember walking into the bathroom that was there at the headquarters building, shutting the door and it was just me in this one stall bathroom. And I looked at the mirror 
presumably thinking that my life was about to end. And I was gonna walk back out into the operations center where all of these soldiers might be looking to me for a, a glimpse of hope and a glimpse of like, things are gonna be okay. And I looked at the mirror and I asked myself, do you really believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has an answer for all of this, that he has a plan and purpose? And as I stared back at myself, I heard the whispers of the Holy Spirit encouraging me. Man, when I walked out there, I didn't feel like I deserved to be in that position, to be minutes away from life and death. But Jesus, I could hear his words, I am with you, I am with you. These are the moments that the centurion is probably feeling in this moment. Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to show up in my life. But here Jesus is, can I come to your house? This was a man of humility. And let me tell you, humility is a strange thing in this world today. I have a lot of soldiers that are in my battalion, a lot of young people, and I love them. Don't get me wrong, I love them. But some of them are a little entitled. Does anybody have that experience in this community? It seems like, it seems like there is a spirit of entitlement that is permeating through our society that people are owed something even before they work for it. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing more stinky, if that's a word I could use, nothing more stinky than the entitlement spirit that is growing in our generation. And I tell you what, the word of God says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Essentially what that's saying is God keeps his distance from those that are prideful, that are entitled, but to those that are humble, God's grace and mercy wraps them up. And I think about that as I do marriage counseling for these soldiers over and over and over again. The key to anything, the key to success, the key to marriage, the key to your relationship with the Lord is humility. And this centurion had it. Jesus wants to show up into his house and he goes, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of that. The second thing that we see here from the centurion that we can take for ourselves is that he understood the kingdom of God. He understood how things work, spiritual authority. He goes on to say in verse eight and nine, the centurion spoke, he said, Lord, I don't deserve for you to come under my roof, but say the word, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. I tell soldiers to go here, they go there. I tell them to go over here, they go over there. The centurion understood what it meant to be under authority. When I was 18 years old, I showed up to church for the very first time in my life. A friend invited me and I heard that Jesus was a savior. And on February 11th, 1996, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I haven't looked back since. I've messed up a lot, but by his grace, I am where I am today. 
it was almost a year later and no blame on anyone else. It was almost a year later when I understood the difference between Jesus being a savior and Jesus being my Lord. And there is a huge difference. I wanted that ticket to heaven. I wanted to know that if I died, I would go to heaven. But when I understood the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I wanted to submit my life to him. And that's essentially what we see here with the centurion. He says, I recognize because I am in the military, I understand the structure. And I want to let you know that Jesus, you don't have to show up. You say the word and it's gonna happen. The centurion understood spiritual authority. And because of that, he was given the greatest compliment that I think Jesus could ever make to somebody in this position. He says, you are a man of great faith. In fact, all of Israel, there is none like you. We wanna be people of great faith, don't we? The centurion was humble and he understood how God operated with spiritual authority but this is probably the best part of, 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 for me of, this, uh, of the story of the centurion. He declared Christ to be Lord and God. We understand when we read this passage in verse six, he says, Lord, my servant is sick and lies at home. But if you would fast forward into Luke chapter 15 or Mark chapter 15, verse 39, you would see that Jesus, when he's on the cross, there's only so many people around him. And one of those people is the centurion. Now we can't say with 100% accuracy that we know, that we know, that we know that it is the same centurion. But what I do know is that the centurion is never named. And there's a reason for that. The Holy Spirit inspired the work and the writing of the scriptures. And in this moment, when it describes the people were there, were in the very last moments of Christ's time here on earth, we see the centurion, the man who had great faith several chapters earlier is now standing at the cross. And what does he say? Surely this is the man, the son of God. He was a man that was humble. He was a man that understood spiritual authority. Christ called him a man of great faith. And at the end of the book, he's known to give public declaration of who Christ was. And I don't know a lot about the scriptures. I'm, I'm not a seasoned uh, preacher. I, I do a lot of things in my role of chaplain and I, I wish I got to preach more, but I don't. I do preach at a chapel now and then, but I tell you what, when I look at this passage of scripture and I see the positions and the moments where this centurion was around Jesus teaching and at the end of his life, I think, man, I wanna be like this guy. I wanna be known as somebody that was humble, that understood spiritual authority. I would love to, to stand before Christ someday and him say, James, you had great faith. All I'll say is, surely you are the son of God. At the end of the story, what happens? The very last line of that, that passage, it says, and his servant was healed at that moment. We can look at the centurion, we can glean some leadership points, but the end result is this, Jesus healed this man. 
And what he did 2000 years ago is what he's doing now in this place, in this generation. And God is looking for people who will go to God on behalf of their family and their friends. The, the, the saying that we have in the chaplain corps is bringing God to soldiers and soldiers to God. That's why I believe the centurion has the essence, has the spirit of a chaplain. But my challenge to you here today is, can we all have that? Can we all have that passion and that desire to go to God on behalf of our loved ones, on behalf of the people that we work for and on behalf of the people that work for us? Can we be challenged to go to God and request that his healing touch be present in their life? I think about all the things that God has done throughout the scriptures, all the stories that we get to see And this is probably one of the most beautiful because this servant couldn't help himself. This servant was paralyzed. He was stuck in bed. It required somebody to go to God for them. And church, we can have our views on politics and about society and about the culture we live in, but the fact remains, we have people outside of these walls that can't get to God, whether they don't know the gospel or they're stuck paralyzed in a hospital bed or mentally they're wrestling with issues that they can't resolve. And we, the church have to be the ones to go to God on their behalf. So today what I'm asking as we have the worship team come back up, I'm asking, is there anybody in your life that you can think about that needs a touch from God, that needs a healing touch from God. I want you to take a second and ask yourself, is there anybody out there that needs to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that needs his healing touch? And if so, I want you to join me in prayer as we go to God on their behalf. I'll give you about 10, 15 seconds to think and ponder on those people and then we'll go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's not just what the the scriptures that we have, but God, the spoken word, what Jesus said 2000 years ago, still life today. The story of the centurion, his humility, his understanding of spiritual authority, God help us to be like him in that sense. God, help us to understand the keys to the kingdom are found in your authority alone and help us to be humble enough to go after them, to seek you on behalf of those that we love, that we work with, that we care for. 
And Jesus, we've given a few moments here to think about those people that are dear to us that need a touch from you in their life. And God, I'm thinking about two or three in my head right now, soldiers back home. They just got such a cold heart, Lord. And no matter how many times I've I've shown my appreciation, my, my love for them, they're so standoffish. God, I'm asking you to do what I can do. I'm asking you, God, to do what only you can do, and that is to soften their heart, to heal their body, to touch them, God, with your power. So Father God, for those soldiers that I know, for my family, God, for this church, for the people that are represented soften hearts? Would you make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way? I look around this room and it's so wonderful to see all these people here today. But I would be remiss to say, Lord, I see the empty seats as well. And I see the potential what you're doing here in this place, how you're growing this place, how you're, you're putting the vision out. The people are grabbing the vision. And God, I would ask in your son's name that God, you would raise up a mighty force of believers. Not that they're, they're, they're contempt to just fill the seats, but God, that they would fill the community, that they would have expression and reach to the forest ends of the earth on Sundays that they would come into this place and corporately worship together. Father, for those that need healing, for those that need your touch of salvation, would you reach them today? We pray, God, with the faith that we have. Maybe it's not as great as the centurion, but it's a mustard seed, I believe. We ask for these things now in Christ Almighty's name. And the church here said, Amen. Amen.